0: Welcome to yet another episode of the REN Experience, where we celebrate those who have made a difference in our times and inspire you to do the same. Now, if this podcast inspires you in any way, I kindly ask you to do me a favor by subscribing to the channel. We aspire to grow and bring you the guests that you want to see on the show, and your subscription will help us get there. Karibu sana. Hello, family. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right right that's the way that's the way to start that's the way to do it i guess i learned it from the best why family? um
1: it's a good question i've always wanted to i've always liked the idea of um using my spaces of influence as as a place where people could come and like be natural and be themselves, um, I find that uh, and in fact it's not that I find it's a common fact that social media is fairly fickle, it's very ephemeral, it's very fake actually. So what you see online is not what people are going through in real life and the only people who ever really get to experience the real you is your family right and so I thought I would love to build, I would love that my community is able to experience each other as family, that we can be honest, we can be vulnerable. Um, we can share each other when we need to cheer for each other and we can call each other out when we need to call each other out. But even at the instances where we call each other out, it's with love rather than the intent to punish and to destroy. So, so it just fits. Like I I would just, you know, i meet people and I go family what's up and uh, then we started doing the podcast and I'd open with hello family and then it just it became a whole thing you know
0: yeah your father was uh, gunned down when you're at age 13 right Um, Mm -hmm. how did that influence your life right how did that shape your life because it still seems that family plays a big role in who you are and how you view the world around you how did that experience shape you because you're still young yeah I mean Yeah, I mean, I think that,
1: um, so it's not an experience I would wish on my worst enemy. Um, But certainly it did mold the individual I am today. Um, it's, It's commonly established, particularly with people who work with children and child psychologists, that children who typically come from adversity or experience some sort of trauma very early on in their lives uh, tend to have a feeling of, of uh, foreshortened future. So they think the, sh- the future is much closer than it is. Um, one, and number two, that, that those events typically tend to direct the, ener- the energies of those children. So this is why you'll find in a home, for instance, where one of the parents had a substance abuse problem that you, it's not uncommon to find in that same home that one child is a phenomenal overachiever and the other child is like you know, a chronic criminal it's because, it not completely, but in part, because being exposed to that level of trauma at an early age gives the children a sense of a foreshortened future, um, but also makes them more deliberate. And what that means is, it, I don't expect that I'm going to live very long, so I get a lot of things done over a short space of time. And as a consequence of this, you become a high achiever, right? Because you you experience trauma at a young age. so So the idea of somebody dying to you is a real idea it's not like this concept it's real you know Uh, and certainly that's what it did for me you know the the loss of my father is 90% the reason I am the man I am today it's uh it it's what drives me it's um the, the 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 feelings of inadequacy that I sometimes have come from that experience yeah
0: it's true that at some point, you know, if you find one of the parents is an addict, then chances are high that, you know, one of the kids will also be an addict and then another one being an overachiever, as I said. But then what, what exactly made you become successful from that particular experience, right? So it's like if someone has gone through the same experience, what are the things that you think could help them get along and, and achieve their goals and become who they want to become? For the longest time, I allowed myself to be referred to as a self-made Right. And people would
1: call me like, I even had it on my website. It was like self-made this and self-made millionaire. It was a lie. I wasn't, I wasn't aware at the time. Uh, Perhaps I was not wise enough to understand what the word self-made mean. There is no such thing as self-made. We're all made by somebody. Um, And so what allowed me and continues to allow me to succeed is the tribe of mentors that I have around me. It's the people who work with me. some at a distant uh, distance, some very, very closely, who work with me every day to make sure that I'm living up to my potential. And those are not always great conversations. Sometimes the people whose role it is in your life is to reflect what your potential is to you is to tell you when you're living beneath it and to call you out on it and to keep you on the path of where you're supposed to be going. And other times, You know, it might be somebody who cheers you on, and somebody who tells you you're doing a great job. You know, Um, somebody who gives you the word of encouragement when you. Just before we started this, true story. Just before we started this, my pastor, uh, Pastor John who's like a phenomenal, phenomenal individual, really a great human being. I've been dealing with a few issues, particularly over the past week, which have been very pressing. And he called me last week, and I was supposed to have a lunch, and I wasn't able to honor the lunch. And I said, "Look, I'm just dealing with a few things." Give me some time today i'm in the middle of a meeting with lawyers right and he sends me a message in the middle of a meeting it says my brother i pray the lord's favor upon you today in whatever you meet as a challenge remember you are more than a conqueror through christ uh jesus our lord that's what i mean right a tribe of mentors and so these words like really spread me out i'm like all right i've got i'm gonna do it i've got the power i've got the energy and I think, again, a lot of us who are successful perhaps don't talk about that. We don't talk about the low moments when you need somebody to lift you up. Um, and, and actually, for me also, in the high moments when you need somebody to keep you humbled, right? Realizing that um, life is about opacity. So you want to make sure that you stay grounded whether, you know, whatever the high or however, whatever the low.
0: I think the people who surround us in a huge way influence the type of individuals that we become. And well, they can either build us or break us, right? They can either uh, make us think that, you know what, we can achieve whatever thing we want to achieve and maybe not. And we could, most of the times we tend to agree with them. And speaking about mentors, I have been in touch with your friend, Robert Burane, all the way from Kenya. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Robert is my brother. Robert is my brother. (laughs) Robert (laughs) is my brother.
0: How did you guys, how did you guys become brothers? I mean, how did it start? Maybe young people over here can Uh, learn.
1: Yeah, Robert and I, that, there's actually a lot to learn in terms of the relationship that Robert and I have. Robert and I have one of those relationships where we are in similar industries, but we cheer for each other no matter what the other one is doing. And, and, and that's very rare. I find that you know a lot of, a lot of us, particularly a lot of our people, uh, when one of us in a particular industry is doing well, the other ones get a sense of envy and like, why him and not the rest of, the rest of us? What's so special about him? I often get those comments like, oh, it's just the way he speaks English or whatever the case might be, right? Anyway, so so I I came across a video of Robert. He was talking about the four kinds of friends you need to have, right? And I saw this video. I want to say somebody had it on like either a WhatsApp status or something like this. And I saw this video and I was like, wow, this guy's power, right? And um, years later, I'm in Kenya on on business. And a young man that I mentor from Ghana, right? And again, as you lift, rise. So this young man that I mentor from Ghana was watching my videos just over a decade ago, decided that he wanted to be a public speaker like me, reached out and said, can you help me? And I was like, sure. And my process is is fairly long distance. I don't hold your hand. I tell you the thing to do. I disappear for a year. Whether you do it or not is up to you. And this young man, I'd give him a task for the year. He'd get it done in three months. And, and he was just like really growing, right? So he and I became a bit close. Uh, we're still close. I live in Dubai. He's now moved to Dubai, this young man. Um, anyway, so, so I'm in Kenya on business. I will go around about way of making the point. I'm in Kenya on business. This young man reaches out to me and says, hey, he said to me, I'd love to see what your, what your events look like when you put your events together. I said, sure. Well, I've got this mega event in Kenya come through. And we had this mega event in Kenya. And he came through to the event. And um, um, as he arrives uh, at, <laughs> he enters at the event was at the Kampinski, and he arrives at the event and he's walking with this tall guy. And I go, That guy looks familiar. And it was Robert Borali, right? And he goes, Yo, my friend here wanted to meet you. I'm like, Robert, right? And so Robert and I connected and we became brothers a few months later. That- a particular young man invited us to his event that he was hosting in Kenya. Robert and I were headline speakers uh, together with an incredible, incredible lady, my sister Dee in Ghana, who was just amazing. I love Dee. And, and Dee, when you see this, I miss you. We need to catch up. Um, so so I really believe in the tribe. I think that the, the tribe is the most important thing you can build when you're a, a, a high potential individual, right? Because you're not always going to believe in your own potential and you need a tribe around you that's going to remind you of who you are and and what you're about and where you we, and I've got tribe you know, so my tribe is people everywhere like if I land in Kuala Lumpur or I land in Rio de Janeiro or I touch down in uh, Austin Texas um, or I'm in Ontario, Canada, it doesn't matter where in the world. if I land in Hong Kong, there's somebody in my tribe that I can reach out to and go, dude I I'm I in, I'm, in, I'm in your country. You know, school me, show me how things move here, show me how people work here. Um, and that, that that's how Robert and I kind of became brothers. Um, but, you know, similar to my brotherhood with Robert, I had brotherhood with many other people. You know, um, my brother Prince, for instance, in Ghana, we're brothers, we talk literally on a weekly basis. And uh, we give each other advice, we're constantly sharing advice. My brother surprised in South Africa, you know. So I'm very lucky that I have, as I say, people around me. Uh, with whom I get to share life and share brotherhood and share this experience called living.
0: And I think one of the things I would agree with you, and despite people having mixed feelings about Andrew Tate, I think one of the things I like about him is the way he speaks about brotherhood and having people really have your back and where you can constantly rely on. I'm going to change this.
1: Yeah, I mean, so I was just changing the background. This is better. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Um, Exactly. And and look, I'm not going to comment on Andrew Tate. I think there are plenty of comments out there. Um there are certainly some of the things that he says where I think, you know, um I can certainly understand his perspective and where he's coming from. And then there are certain things that he says or does that I just I don't agree with. But uh this is, this is not a podcast about Andrew Tate. So
0: that's true. You are you are a very good storyteller. And uh well congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> Or oh, becoming the world's best storyteller. But how has storytelling shaped you into who you are right now? You know, my partner said to me
1: the other day, she said, um, she said, you know, I love to My partner can talk on the phone for like an hour, hour and a half. Uh, she lives in a different country, so uh I always every time I see my phone bill, I'm like, right? Um her and I were talking the other day, and she was like, dude. The way you tell stories is just unbelievable. I don't know. I don't know that I. I um. I don't know that I. That I. Your question was how has that shaped me? So it's certainly been a big part of the reason for my success. Um. Right now, in my venture firm, my growth fund, and you know, guys can go and check it out. Mygrowthfund.co. We're busy raising uh, three sets of funds. We're raising a a high alpha fund for ultra high net worth individuals called Mount Fletcher. We're raising a mid-market SME fund uh, called VUKA, V-U-K-A. And we're raising a growth stage fintech fund for the African continent sub-Sahara called the Fintech Africa Fund. Um, And I noticed that our success as a team has been my ability to not only talk about the products that we're building, but the story why we're building those products. Uh, Human beings relate a lot more to that. Um so i it perhaps has to do a lot with you know public speaking and the fact that i've been doing public speaking for two decades now 21 years actually 21 years long ago then. was the first time i won it's been a long time uh, 21 years ago was the first time i i won the world championship in public speaking so i've been at this a really long time and i've learned over the years how to use words to uh convey messaging to communicate to influence um and by God's grace, I'm given the opportunity to use it across the various things uh that I do.
0: How has religion how has religion helped you over the years?
1: Mm. Religion hasn't helped me, faith has. Um I I've been through my own fair share of difficulty. And I found it very interesting how it was the most religious people that wanted to persecute me. Uh, The ones that bash the Bible and talk about the power of, you know, acceptance or forgiveness or whatever the case, were the ones least interested in the true version of events. They were more interested in how things appeared than how things are. My experience has been that the world doesn't need religion. The world needs faith. And so when I've experienced difficulty, and believe me, I have, it's been my faith that's been my solace. It's been my Lord and Savior who has been my abundant source of grace and strength, who even at instances when I didn't know how I was going to come out of something, um, found a way for me to come out of the thing that I was facing. Um, And the moments and instances in my personal life where I have felt despondent, um, where I have felt um, just disabused of the notion of trying to do something because I was just tired or whatever the case might be, and uh, it's been my faith that's kept me going. So I don't preach uh, uh, to other people. I try not to be pious or to force people to do things in a particular way, but I think my experience of my Lord and Savior has been, that at every material time when i've been quiet enough to try and hear him he has been loud enough to
0: tell me what to do i think i think one of the main roles that faith does to us is help us get through those tough times cuz they are there and they'll come and they'll keep coming they never stop what yeah you know and the the
1: sorry the, the pragmatist in me you know would often wonder if did is it the belief that made the thing real or was the thing real and therefore I believed in it? Mm. Um, kind of which comes first, right? Does faith come before manifestation or do you manifest and then have faith? I think it's, the, I think it's the, the former. I think by its very nature, faith is the substance of things not seen. So if you must first experience it to believe in it, by design it's not faith, right? Mm-hmm. Um, And by the way, as a business builder, I live in faith every day. I take risk with my money, risk with my time, risk with my talent, risk with my ideas, and I start something that doesn't exist and try and make it real. And every day I can see it in my mind, even though other people around me can't. Just the mere fact of starting a business, the mere fact of giving birth to a child and raising them, having hopes for who that child will become in society, the mere fact of creating a podcast and seeking to create a space for people to have good conversations,
0: all of those are manifestations of faith. Yes, they are. Mm-hmm. And, and manifestation is also about mindset. Right? And I've listened to your episode with Tom, which I'm pretty sure you really enjoyed. And one of the things that you guys covered intensively is the fact that a lot of young people, especially in the African continent, have a problem in terms of uh, their mindset and what they believe yeah. to be true, right? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. how mm-hmm. do we ensure that people, in as much as they try and work hard, right, and they try and put in their best effort, but how can we free them into thinking, into having a mindset that makes them believe, you know what? Despite my disadvantage, right? despite um, all the constraints that I've put before me. I am still. I can do this. I. I. I can. I can still achieve what I want to achieve.
1: So, is this like, um, this like uh, old school motivation? You know, there's these like, like Generation One motivational speakers who used to say things like "tough times don't last" and "tough people do." You know, and and let's say in life, you must practice the seven Ps. Proper prior planning prevents a painfully poor performance, you know? This is like generation one, like 1960s, 1970s style of motivational speakers. And then came that like really deep thinking school of Bob Proctor and those kind of guys. Um, but ar- somewhere around the 80s, there was this like really popular phrase. I don't know who said it first, but I've heard thousands of people say it now. And they say fear is false evidence appearing real. That's bullshit. It's not true. Fear is very fucking real.
0: Absolutely.
1: Right? Just excuse my language. So, 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 so when you are a young person in Africa and you are despondent, your fears are not based on something that's not real. You're watching around you the mismanagement of public funds, the dilapidation of public infrastructure and resources. Um, you're watching around you uh, the mismanagement of public funds, the dilapidation of public infrastructure and resources. You're watching. Um, <laughs> you're watching people who are closest to politicians, who were D and E grade students in your class, um, mm-hmm. live the most opulent lives, and the kids who are A and B students are the ones who are battling to find a job just because they don't know the right politicians. So when you're a, when you're a young person in Africa and that's what you're experiencing, it's not false for you to have a sense of despondency. It's real. You are literally watching the physical manifestation. So when people say young people in Africa imagine limitations, it's not true. Those limitations are real. They're not imagining the limitation. They're not imagining the constraint. They're not imagining the, it's there. They're watching it, yeah. right? They're living it every day, right? I think that. What we, rather than say that, um, you know, they're imagining something that's, that's not real, we perhaps should spend our time thinking about teaching them how to exist as their best version, as the best version of themselves in the environment that they're in. And, and for me, that's my frustration. I often see, you know, people who run these programs that make perfect sense. If you're running that program in the Northern Hemisphere, somewhere in the U.S., but it doesn't for the environment in the market that you're, that you're delivering this program in. And that creates, um, a, a sense of false hope because a lot of these young people attend these programs and think that after that, their lives are just going to go sky high. And then that doesn't happen either. But I will say to each and every single one of those young people who may be watching this conversation that your mindset is a fact. It's not an imagination. And what I mean by that is this, your mindset is is the concrete and the highway of your life. So wherever the freeway and highway of your life goes, the concrete that's building that is your mindset. And having a positive mindset, a growth mindset, an abundance mindset is difficult in an environment of negativity, fixed and constrained, but it's not impossible. And the opportunity you have is to constantly check yourself mentally and make sure that you're thinking in that growth mindset's way. Haven't you noticed why? Have you, have you seen this? Like, Have you ever noticed how an Afri- a young African person will leave their country in Africa somewhere, move somewhere else, the Middle East, the US, Europe, and all of a sudden they start being uber successful, like ridiculously successful? It's because the environment they're in is the kind of environment where the mindset of growth and abundance is easier to metastasize than the environment they come from. But we have real work. I mean, quickly, and I don't want to, you know, we have real work right now as we speak in South Africa. There's load shedding, there's no electricity. Um, I'm lucky where I am. You know, I'm in Santin, I'm in the richest square mile in Africa. My office is on the fifth floor, overlooking Ravonia Road. Right across my office, I look at Santin City the mile as people are driving in and out. I can see it. I'm lucky. I'm I'm in the 0.001%. So when electricity power cuts hit, when I'm here at the office, we keep going because the office we're in is built in such a way that it can continue to go. But for most people running small businesses out there, that's not the case. For most people trying to raise children in their homes, that's not the case. And what happens when something like that happens, when there's no electricity, high inflation, no jobs, is people have a mindset of constraint. And, and it's difficult to say to those people, your mindset is not, you know, a mindset is a fact. They are, they are physically experiencing no power, no jobs, high inflation. They are physically living it. And I don't want to be one of these guys that says mindset, it's not true. Mindset is not something you imagine. It's a fact, but it is a fact you have the opportunity to tell yourself. You can wake up in the morning and change the script. It's more difficult in environments of constraints, but more difficult doesn't mean it's impossible.
0: I believe that people who will be listening to this and saying, well, that's true. I think I have a constraint mindset, but where do I begin to change? Where does the change start?
1: Um, it's a good question. Where does the change start? Let me think about this. So the first thing you can control it kind of starts inside out, right? And I've not thought about the answer to this, but intuitively I want to say that what I would control first is what I let in before I worry about how it comes out. So I, I, did, a, I did a masterclass in Kenya and I said at the masterclass in Kenya that I don't have TV and my T. I've got the most amazing media team, by the way, like I've got the greatest media team. They took us, they took that snippet and they posted it on TikTok and TikTok went berserk. Like people were really,
0: how can he say he doesn't
1: have TV? Is he talking about, what does he mean? Has he never seen a TV? He's clearly lying. Calm down. Right. I have the monitor, the physical monitor that is the television, but I don't have the, the, the satellite That broadcast signal into that monitor. Right. So I don't sit, I don't sit for 30 minutes a day watching news. I don't need that. If something important happens, I'm going to pick it up on social media or an email. If something that affects our industry or my business, I'll know about it. I don't need to be in the news every day trying to find out what's happening in the world. The reason I do this is because I want to control what I let in, because I'm fully aware that if I let it in, it controls how I come out, right? And how I how I manifest the energy I project to the world. So I'm very aware of this. So for anybody, the question was, you know, how do they manage their mindset? The first thing I would say is, what are you letting in? What newspapers are you reading? What books are you reading? What media are you consuming online? Because that which you bring into your space is the first, it's the groundwork. It literally is the ground floor of how you begin to build the mindset that you want.
0: So now let's switch gears a little bit and move into entrepreneurship. One of the things that you constantly say is that when you start a business, you don't need investors. You need customers. And one of the episodes I did, the guest said the same thing. And why do you think we have the problem of more young people want to venture into business, wanting first to get investors before they can even get customers to prove that they, are, they actually have um, a business model that works or they're solving a problem that really exists and customers are willing to pay for it? I think because it's more natural. It's more
1: natural, right? Like if you're starting a business, you presuppose that you need capital to start the business so that you can service the customers when they come. Right I think it's it's natural and frankly it is true it's true you you need capital to build a business, of course right um and and let's add some some caveats here. um there are certain businesses that you cannot start unless you have capital, like you're not going to start a complex financial services business unless you have capital. you're not going to start a mine unless you have capital um, you're not going to you know these are you're not going to start a heavy industrial engineering uh, a property plant hire business unless you have capital. Where are you going to get the property plant for hire? Right. These are businesses that need the capital for you to have the very means of production to run that business. That's what I mean. So from that perspective, there are certain businesses that with, without capital, you cannot get into those businesses in the first place. Um, if you, for instance, want to run a gas station, as they call it in the US, a petrol station, it's called in South Africa. But if you want to run one of those without capital, how are you? where are you going to put the land? What land are you going to put? Where are you going to put the, the forecourt? Where are you going to put the retail site? Where are you going to get the pump? How are you going to get the liquid under the ground? How are you going to pay your staff? You need capital before you can even start that business. And so to say that that person starts selling fuel before you get the retail station is nonsense. It's not true. However. There are certain businesses um, that you can get customers for and build that business, right? And these are typically businesses where you, your time, your skills, and your network are the value that you can bring into that business. Those businesses, you don't need capital to start. You need a customer. You need to go out there and say, customer X, we have this value that we have created for you come and buy this value from us and from every single customer you reinvest and create additionally more value, right? So that for me is is how I approach that question. So I always say to entrepreneurs, you don't need value to start. You don't need capital to start a business. You need capital to grow a business. Um, But to be clear, there are some businesses that without capital are near on impossible to operate.
0: You have watched The Founder, the movie yeah Mm.
1: and of course that movie is like the bible for any entrepreneur so one of my both both of good and bad traits by the way
0: i suppose so one of my main takeaways was you have as an entrepreneur you have to build systems right someone else needs to be able to deliver how you are delivering when you're not there Mm -hmm. and one of the problems Mm -hmm. that we have and i think it's huge is that people in the continent or especially young entrepreneurs don't build networks like they want to be the ones doing everything right and mm-hmm. how, how do you think entrepreneurs in the continent can kind of like start building networks that can outlive them that's tough
1: <laughs> it's tough it's not easy it's not easy i don't i don't think i think that it, it isn't that people don't do it because they don't have the desire to i think they don't do it because it's complex, it's difficult. Building systems into a business is difficult. It's a lot of work, right? Um, so we have a we have uh, um, we have a excuse me we have an accelerator platform called the School of Scale, right? So under my growth fund, we used to do a lot of work to build entrepreneurs by doing exactly what you're talking about. They come to us running a business. The average entrepreneur was doing about five million dollars a year but they were the business, they were running the business. And the work we would do with them would be to help them make themselves irrelevant in the, in the functioning of the business. Right. Yeah. So how do you standardize processes? How do you automate processes? How do you create a rules-based um, organization? How do you create um, um, command structures and lines of functions Um so that you have, at the very least, command and control, but also you have vertical functions that people can use to deliver functional value to the customer. Then once you've done that, how do you build a culture to keep all of this going? Most entrepreneurs don't know how to do that. They're like, look, I buy this from that supplier, and I sell it to that customer, and I make $0.20, $20, 20 cents in between. That's how most entrepreneurs go. And so we, you know, we, we spent years digging deep into their businesses and helping them scale. And we realized that scaling is a code. Similar to writing a code for a website or a code for a program or a code for an Excel spreadsheet that you want to operate as a macros, scale is a code. so we built our own code for scale. And we've taken that IP and we've now housed it into our new a platform called the School of Scale. You can go and check it out, theschoolofscale.co. And the main idea is we ask every entrepreneur who wants to join the School of Scale, could you disappear for your business from ninety for 90 days or more and your business still functions and achieves all of its functional lines and all of its revenue? And if the answer is no, you should look at the School of Scale. Now, not everybody qualifies for the School of Scale, right? The qualifying criteria is a million dollars in turnover. The reason that criteria is there is because this is not for people who have ideas or people at that like that micro stage where they're still trying to figure things out. You know, they've got like one or two customers. This is for people who have they've built the business, they've got the product, they've got the marketplace, they understand what they do, but they're stuck. They didn't build a business; they built a cage, and that cage is the job that they have given themselves to run that business. And so if they're not there physically running the business, the business is not going to run. And that's what the school of scale is for. It's to get entrepreneurs out of the space. So that's similar to me, as I'm sitting here with you having this conversation, the team is running. They're doing what they need to be doing because the code is in place.
0: I know you, 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 you follow Patrick, but David, and one of the books that- Of course, PBD,
1: made... legend. <laughs>
0: By the way, he was the guy who actually inspired me to get into podcasting and storytelling and content creation. Right? So it was really inspiring seeing you that you know you also is a guy that you follow. And you- I'm a big
1: fan. Of, I'm a big fan of Patrick. Um, I've been following him for years. I remember from when I first saw his ad where he was talking about how he started selling insurance from house to house, knocking on people's doors. And then at the end of the ad, you see him get in this Ferrari 458 and drive out. When I was in Miami, I was in Miami last year on tour in November and I got to share the stage with Tia Claire Toomey who was the fittest human being in the world. She's won um, the CrossFit more than any other human being in the history of CrossFit And, and I shared the stage with Michael Phelps who was the who was the greatest Olympic athlete of all time. This guy has won more gold medals than any other Olympic athlete right so when I was I was in Miami on tour working with these guys and um, I actually, you know, I was like, I need to go see where Patrick's house is because I know he'd, you know, bought a house, right? And so the the guy who was taking us around, it took us and was like, that's his house. And I was like, you know, two years, three years, we're coming. You know, <laughs> we we're gonna be there. So I'm a huge fan of Patrick, and you know, I like I like Patrick in the sense that I like the way he thinks, I like the way that he moves, but I like the fact that he he he's not he's not apologetic about how he sees the world. And in today's world of wokeness and cancel culture. A lot of people are too afraid to be honest about how they see the world. And Patrick is like, look, this is the way that I see the world. Capitalism works. If you want to make money, you want to be in a capitalist society. End of story.
0: Yeah. He also said, if you want the four hour quick, well, this is the wrong place for you.
1: 100%. And I'm, I'm, by the way, I'm, I share that. I share that. I. I <laughs> You know, yesterday was Sunday. I was here at the office. I had, a, I had a meeting with one of our new investors and something that we're doing. Um, and then I had a meeting with, with our lawyers. I was at the office on a Sunday. You know, I took two, three hours. I came into the office, did some work and left. Um, and I'm at the stage where I don't have to do that, but I want to do it. Um, it this is important. So let me just say this to you very quickly. This is important. One of the truths you have to tell yourself when you're an entrepreneur starting a business is what is your truest intent? There are some people for whom their truest intent is simply to make a living, pay for their kids' school fees, pay for their medical insurance, drive a decent car, live in a nice middle-class home, and afford themselves, and that's okay. There are some people for whom their truest intent is building a small business or a medium-sized business that they can leave to their kids when they pass away. That's okay, too. Then there are those of us who are trying to take over the world, and that's okay, too. It's the people who went, why would Elon Musk risk his time, reputation, and money buying a social media platform that isn't profitable, who, the number of users on which he cannot verify and create for himself the additional headache of having one more business to run when he's the wealthiest man in the world. Why would he do this? He does it because that's who he is. And I think when you make the decision to become an entrepreneur, the most important decision is not making a decision to become an entrepreneur. It's making the decision to, to know what kind of entrepreneur you are. Are you the hyperscale, hypergrowth, go really, really quickly and conquer as much market share as possible? Or are you the lifestyle entrepreneur that builds a decent business, lives a good life, and has the opportunity to go to their kids' prize giving? Which of these are you? And, and, and live according to that. And neither one is better than the other. They're just different.
0: And they're all right. <laughs> Nobody's wrong. And they are all right.
1: And that's the point. That's what I was saying about Patrick, right? Like, that's the point. The point is people need to learn that just because you and I are not the same doesn't mean you're wrong. We can both be right. We're just not the same, right? Like we're both right. We're just not the same. So when people go, it's not healthy to work six days a week, get the fuck out of here. Get the fuck out of here with that shit. You think Goldman Sachs built, you think Goldman and Sachs built Goldman and Sachs by working a four-day work week? Get the fuck out of here. You know, it's like, come on. You think Adrian Gore built Discovery working a four hour work week? You think YT Basson built ShopRite working a four hour work week? No. You think, you think Uncle James built uh, Equity Bank working a four hour work week? No. That ain't how the shit works. So you don't get to call how I live toxic just because you can't keep up, right? Let's be clear. If, if I play NFL or NBA, And you don't play at that league you can't go keep competitive it's toxic no it's not it's the level at which i compete you're allowed to watch and and you don't have to comment to try to denigrate people and so i think it's important like it's important for us to go and and they have words now you know like it's toxic it's it's not it's just a different model of work and i make no apologies for the fact that across my businesses i expect that I expect you to be in an hour before the official start time at work. And I expect you to leave an hour and a half after the official time of work. I expect you to be able to answer your Slack channel on a Saturday for at least one or two hours a day. I expect it. Now, if you don't want to do it, that's cool. Just don't come here. There are many other places you can go. And I'm sure you'll find a great place. But that's the culture we've built here because we don't think about our work as labor we think about it as work there's a difference labor is tenuous it's strenuous it's unpleasant we don't think about our work as labor it's a passion of love we enjoy what we do and so you know we're not sitting here counting how many hours we're doing it that's not how we work so yeah man that's that's how i feel about that
0: most of the times the entrepreneurs who become successful are the ones who enjoy the process right and nowadays it's becoming hard because most of the times people go like you know what? People can't work for 10 or 12 hours a day. People can't respond to messages on a weekend. It's like, it's fine, right? But you can go do that elsewhere, not here. And I think it's the same thing that also Elon did when...
1: Let me also just say one more thing. Like, life is also about phases. Like, I went through a phase last year. I was exhausted. There was a time last year I was exhausted. And for three months, I just... There was a lot of noise in my head. I was distracted. I couldn't concentrate. You know what white noise is? You remember those days when you had like the old TV? The television and it wouldn't catch the signal it had like that yeah, the, he's, he's, i just had a lot of white noise in my head yeah, yeah yeah like i had a lot of white noise in my head and it doesn't matter what you're trying to do if there's white noise in your head you can't think right um and so i had to take a decision then to just take a step back and just reevaluate so there's certain businesses i'm not involved in anymore certain uh, directorships i used to hold that i don't hold anymore like i've really just trimmed my life and simplified my life. And Michael, who's one of my best friends, helped me work through this process. You know, like, why are you talking to these people? Why are you in this company? Why are you on that board? Why are you? And, and making the decision quite deliberately to get out of things. Best decision ever. But the point is that it, there are stages, you know, there are stages where you want to be going 120%. And then there's stages where you're like, I'm a bit tired. I need to catch, some, catch, catch, you know, catch my breath. Um, but knowing where you are, the only thing I object to is people who think that their way is the only way. That's not true.
0: And and speaking about stages, one of the things that surprises me most of the times is if an entrepreneur becomes successful, they'll go ahead and say, you know what? Um, well, you need to sleep for eight hours, right? You need to have a work-life balance. And these are the things that I think I should have done during that time. But I think it's bullshit, right? Because I'm like, if you are to go back <laughs> to that moment... I don't think you'll be getting eight hours of sleep, right? You'll be grinding.
1: Yeah, absolutely. My 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 uh my model of this is uh, uh the notorious RBG Ruth uh, Bader Ginsburg, who um whose, whose documentary you must watch by the way, phenomenal, um uh, phenomenal lawyer and then judge, um in the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, she was really at the forefront of the struggle for women's equality and the recognition of equality under the law just an amazing human being. But she said, I was watching an interview of hers and she said that what she does is she will work ruthlessly for like five days a week, have very few hours of sleep. And then for one day in the weekend, she just crashes and she's not available at all, right? And so for her, that was the balance. The balance was to throw yourself so intensely into a body of work that you're sleeping three or four hours a day but then on the fifth day, you just completely reboot your system, and you allow yourself to to rebuild up. Right? Um, that's similar for me. Like it's very. There's a day in the week for me where it's very difficult, for, even for me, to be like, I want to work. I'm just like, nah. Uh, my brain can't connect. But on other days in the week, you know, I'm, I'm 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 intensely in. So the point is, find what works for you. Stop spending time. Trying to tell or convince other people that what they're doing is toxic, just find the thing that works for you. If the four hour work week works for you, have at it, right? If working half day for six days works for you, as a friend of mine does, have at it. Um, you know, but if working as the way I work,
0: then have at it too. We're all different. You either get emotions or progress, you don't get both. That's right. I said that
1: on the Tom Bellu interview.
0: Yes, you, yeah. either get
1: too, you either get the emotion or you get the progress, but you don't have both. I've got to tell you this. There's a movie called Red Notice, Ryan Reynolds and The Rock. Yeah. I'm watching the movie. I'm on a flight somewhere. Ryan Reynolds and The Rock are arguing. This is a year after my interview with Tom Bellu, where I said, you either get the emotion or progress, you don't get both. I'm watching the movie, and Ryan Reynolds says to The Rock, you either get the emotion or progress, you don't have both. I'm like, ooh. Oh shit! They took my line. They took my line. They took, I need to phone somebody. I need to. They need. They owe me some money. I need. I want my money. I want my money. Be pay me my
0: money. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> that is super funny. <laughs> I mean, so most of the people are used to seeing you as you know an entrepreneur, a public speaker. But who are you outside work? Who is Vuti
1: outside? I'm a dad, work? man. Like I'm a dad. I love my kids, and I'm like I'm a, I'm a, I'm like a. I'm like a dad dad. Like, let me put it to you this way. If you come into my house and my kids have taken a blank wall and have decided to paint it in multicolored rainbow colors, I'm not the parent telling them what they're doing is naughty. I'm the parent mixing the paint. <laughs> I'm that guy. Right. So, You're doing them. so yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm, you know, my kids are my best friends. We were are together as often as we can, we play as much as we can. That for me has become numero uno in terms of all my priorities is just prioritize them because I'm beginning to realize you know that um they're getting older my youngest is 12 now you know so they're they're kind of they're at that stage now where they're getting older they're getting more advanced they're getting smarter he turns 13 this year so he will be this year the age I was when my father died and I think that was the switch when I realized he's he's moving he's at that age now and I remember my relationship with my dad when I was that age and i i I remember that I didn't really care what my dad did for a living or how much money he had or didn't have or where we lived. I just cared he was my dad, I loved him, and I wanted to spend time with him and so I'm like that with my kids i just yeah i'm a i'm a I'm a dad that's who I am
0: oh, well, I also hope someday I'll have a family, but how does families change people because I mean when you were speaking about your family, you seem to be so passionate about it <laughs> yeah, I mean I think. I think it's different for all of us. Uh, certainly for me, um,
1: it, changed, it changed the types of risks that I take. Um, there's just certain types of risks I don't take anymore. And there's certain types of risks I think twice before I take them because I understand the impact that we have on their lives. So it's not just me, right? It's them as well.
0: That's true. And now you have to play. Well, you really... A father to them but you also have to take up the role of leadership
1: and guidance. you got it you got it you got it
0: how paramount is it for young people to keep on learning and never stop learning they shouldn't go like you know what i've graduated books off the table i mean i know that's predominantly your audience right the
1: young mm-hmm. people but It's not just that young people should never stop learning. It's that if you're a human being and you're alive, you should never stop learning. You should constantly be learning, constantly improving yourself, constantly questioning what you know and and unlearning some of the things you believe to be true, uh, constantly challenging yourself. And the reason for that is this. We're busy hiring in our firm, right? Like we're busy scaling up. We're hiring investment analysts, hiring uh, conversion analysts, investor relations people, like we're we're building, like we've got a lot going on. For the school of scale, they're hiring the full faculty team, the program team, the product manager, like we're scaling. And three years ago, for each of those roles, we would have consulted and contracted an HR company. We would have told them who we are and what we do. They would have gone out to the marketplace and done a bit of a survey about what is best practice, come back to us with a design job spec, how much we should pay the person. We would have agreed, signed with them. They would have gone, recruited that person and would have taken you know, 10% of the person's annual pay, right? Today, we went on ChatGPT. We inserted the job. We told the platform what we want. It wrote the full spec of the job. Then we asked it, what is this person on average in this market? It told us that too. And we asked a couple of other questions. We built a highly um, sophisticated job description for the job ad, posted the job ad. Then we went on Juno Journey, and we created our full onboarding platform for everybody in the team so that it's automated and runs via AI. But even the process of recruitment we plugged in to the Juno journey. So everything from when the person applies all the way to when they join and sign their contracts and get induction, all online, all run by AI, no human, no human interaction. So the recruitment agency is gone. The HR person would have needed to do induction and training is gone. And now we're busy with the process of doing a continuous learning and development. We're putting all of that online. So that's gone. And that's just the stuff on the HR side. But the reason you want to constantly be learning and growing is precisely because it's moving and changing so fast that if you're not upskilling yourself in the context of what technology is doing today, you're going to be in trouble. You know, when we do copy for ads, whether it's for School of Scale or My Growth Fund or my my own personal brand, Vusitembewayo, we don't go to a copywriter. We use Jasper, jasper Jasper.ai. You go to Jasper. It's got about 38 different uh, templates and modules. You say, Jasper, I want to create an ad using the AIDA formula for this product. You plug the product in, and Jasper writes the full copy for you. Then you can take the copy and go on Canva. So, hi, Canva. Here's the copy. Please design me the poster. And Canva will give you the poster. Now, before you know it, you've got the ad, and you've got the copy, and you can fly it on social media, no human being involved, but for the person driving that process. This is where the world is today. I think we're going back to the era of being generalists again, not like hyper-specialized people where you're going to need to know a little bit about finance, a bit about HR, a bit about marketing, because the technical work, the deep work, the the artificial intelligence and the machines will do it much better than you and I, right? I mean, a few years ago, there was in in the venture capital space, a few years ago, there was a due diligence platform released called U-Diligence. I mean, it's incredible how advanced U-Diligence is now. If you're raising capital using a roll-up vehicle in the US, it's incredible how advanced angel list is, right? And all of these are becoming more and more sophisticated and more and more complex. And the point I'm making is, you really want to be dangerous enough that you know enough about everything. You can work in one function, but you need to know enough about everything. And so that's why continuous growth, development, and learning is even more important.
0: And it's so fascinating. And because ChatGPT was just started last year, right, late last year. And the impact that it's making right now, it's insane, right? And people used to say, you know what, Um, well, AI will didn't take the creative tasks, but then now we are seeing things such as copywriting, they're already taken. Ultimately, what do you think people will be doing, right? AI and technology is freeing us from doing all the, you know, stuff that we keep on doing every single day. But then ultimately, what do you think people will be doing,
1: I don't know. I think that's a good question. Um, let me answer your question this way, and then I must run. I've got a board meeting, which starts just now. But let me answer your question this way. At the turn of the century before last, 90% of human labor was agrarian. Human beings worked in farms. But the, the productivity and output of the agricultural sector wasn't as high as it is today. So 90% of human beings worked in farms, but the productivity and output of farms, the, pro- the product- Farms weren't as efficient. Output volumes weren't as high as they are today. Today, it's less than 10% I understand that works in the agricultural sector, but the output is an order of magnitude more because what, what roboticization, me- mechanization, and industrialization did is it took the small little farmer who had laborers working, mechanized that whole process, built a massive industry around it, And automated how the mechanism, the mechan, the mechanization of the industry of the process works so that one person with technical skill can oversee a much bigger unit of production than would have otherwise been the case. And because it was machines doing it, the efficiencies are higher than human beings. Now it isn't true that we're not, we're hungry. We still have food today, right? But also at the same time, think about what it did to the agricultural sector, you know, the turn of the century before last in the late 1800s you know when farmers were, were were planting their crops it was a bit of a gamble today with the the genetic mutation and the genetic um the the genetic mutation and artificial genetic coding that they're doing on seeds they know exactly what strain of what type of soy they need to plant to get the output that they want in you know, a particular part of the world different to another part of the world. So what all of this technology has done is it's made us more efficient in the world. I expect that it will do the same. So I'm not dystopian about the future. I'm not at all. I think the future is going to be great. Think about the young woman uh, who was 20 years old and living in Europe in the 1910s or the 1920s. Just pre or just you know, kind of post-World War I before World War II, working in a small factory as a seamstress, if you went to that young woman and told her that somebody her age, a hundred years from then, would be living in Dubai, have 100,000 have 1, 100, followers on Instagram and would be making a living from posting pictures, wearing clothes, she would have thought, "That's crazy. But that's what technology has done. I think when people get nervous about technology, they shouldn't. You shouldn't be dystopian about it. In the short term, it can be quite disruptive. But in the long term, it's always a net positive, always a net positive. The things we human beings will do are the boring things because the boring things are the creative things. So you you should have time when you're bored. That's how you get creative, right? I mean, think about it. When you want to be creative, you don't sit there and think, okay, let's be creative now you don't believe me, call your team and say, we're having a creative session tomorrow starting at two o'clock and see how much creativity is going to flow. No creativity flows. You want to be creative? Wake up in the morning and take a cold shower. You'd be very surprised how many bright ideas come to you when you're standing underwater, right? Like I have this app on my phone called Endel, E-N-D-E-L. Like I plug that thing on. I plug in a certain module, 17 minutes, and I come out of there with the, the most amazing ideas, because it forces my mind to think and, and buzz at a certain, you know, like frequency, and that's my frequency of creativity. So the point I'm making is I'm excited about what technology is going to do because of what technology has historically done for us, right? And that's why I think we shouldn't be nervous. If you told, you know, a horse carriage operator in New York in, the ni- in 1904 that, you know, there would be this thing called Uber, They would have thought, what are you talking about? But here we are today and it's happening. I think we should be excited, not nervous. In the short term, very disruptive. But
0: in the long term, it's a net positive. One last question before we close up. Yes, sir. We have spoken about planning. And how it influences yes. people and them better, and that everyone has to keep on learning. Can you suggest three pieces of content, either a book, an article, or a movie, that you think young people listening to you right now, who are, who are either aspiring entrepreneurs or leaders, should definitely check them out? Or more if you have them. <laughs> uh, a
1: book. A book is probably a toss-up between Robert Greene's 48 Laws of Power and uh, Jim Collins' Good to Great. I think to be a fully formed, functioning human being in the modern world, um, if you're in business, certainly you need to know those books, I've read those books. Um, A movie, you know, I'm a big movie buff, like I'm one of these people that recites lines for movies, right? That's my favorite pastime. Movie, I think, is a bit more complex. I think it depends. I think if you want to know where the future is, watch Demolition Man with uh, Sylvester Stallone and um, Sandra Bullock. And uh, they live in a town called San Antonio, and he, he gets frozen in the year 1998, and they freeze him like, in this process of thesis or whatever. And he wakes up in that town in 2035 or something, and it's like way into the future. And some of the things that happened in that movie, we're watching them happen today, right? So, so you know, Demolition Man is, and it's a great, like, it's a great action flick. You can watch it over an hour, 10 minutes, and you'll enjoy it. Um, if we were to talk movies, I mean, again, you know, you can't be a fully functioning adult in the modern world unless you've watched um, The Godfather. You have to watch The Godfather. Uh, you've got to dip into a bit of Quentin Tarantino. Um, my personal favorite is Reservoir Dogs. It's not a particularly educative piece of theatre, but it's, it's vulgar. It's proper Quentin Tarantino. Um, but I would also say watch The Great Debaters um, starring uh, Denzel Washington. Phenomenal, okay. phenomenal movie. Yeah, yeah, I mean, phenomenal movie. Um, and so kind of for me, those are like uh, seminal pieces. And when it comes to what you should read, I think daily you should be on medium looking for interesting people to follow. You should be on Substack looking for interesting people who publish interesting blogs that you want to follow, like daily. Like I probably subscribe to like 40 different people from grit capital all the way through to Brighter Bridges, who share all sorts of insights and ideas. 90% of the things I'm learning every day, I'm not reading them as was the case 10 years ago in Wall Street Journal or Financial Times. I'm picking them up from people who are publishing interesting Substacks and have created blogs and are on Patreon that are subject matter experts at something, they have an inside track into something and they're sharing that insight every single day. And then I'm going to share one last trick with the people watching this. If you're African, do yourself a favor. You'll thank me later. Take your phone. If you're on Twitter, do this. Take your phone, go to your Twitter trends, go to your location settings and change the location so that it shows you the trends, not of the country you are in, out of the country where the industry you are in is the most advanced if you're in technology you want to set your twitter trend location to palo alto right because that's where silicon valley is if you're in finance you want to set your trends to new york because that's where wall street is right and you'll see the most amazing thing happen when you log on to twitter as you start reading the trends you'll see where the people who are in your career, in your industry, who are the most advanced, what are they talking about every day? You don't catch yourself talking about minor issues that are based on your small little local environment. That's a part of how you change your mindset is by controlling what you consume rather than just allowing these apps to serve you whatever they want to serve you. That's like a great hack. You can thank me later.
0: That's powerful. (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> For those listening this one, don't forget to subscribe on Woodsea Tempequires YouTube channel and VT Podcast. This was amazing. Thank bro. you, my brother. Really appreciate it, brother. Have a good one Asante, week. Asante. Ciao. Ciao.